the Upstream Festival in Seattle just celebrated its second anniversary. I was asked to moderate a panel on Music Cities during the summit portion of the festival, and you get to hear it right now. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. Today we talk about music cities, what they are, and why they're important. It's all coming up on the future of what. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to DJ OG1, Kate Becker, and Alex Grigg. So our panel today is about music cities. So we'll get started right away by talking about what is a music city? Why are people in the country trying to become music cities and how do we do that? So Kate, do you want to get us started with oh, any sure. of those topics? I'd be happy to. So Seattle, we call ourselves City of Music. And one day, a bunch of industry people and my predecessor decided, let's just call ourselves the City of Music. And that's where it started, right? And it was because they were working on a strategy for us to really be a true City of Music. And we do have a 10-year strategy that we are eight years into that we will be a City of Musicians, City of Live Music, and City of Music Business. But why be a music city? Because music is important to our identity. Music is important to our culture here. Music is important to our economy here. And that is something that people did not realize for a long time here in Seattle was how much economic impact our music industry was having. And so all of those reasons are great reasons to be a music city. So Canada has been a little, you guys are pretty early adopters in the game of like figuring out how music impacts your economy. So do you want to talk about some of the studies that have been done? Yeah. You know, I'm the executive director of BC, so most of my focus is on British Columbia, although I'm, Sorry, I, I, I didn't. play, that's yeah, okay. I play an active role. I've been in the industry there for a long, long time. We're fortunate enough that BC is the third largest market in Canada. So we have a plethora of, you know, musicians, recording studios, this, that, and the other. So, you know, when it comes to sort of what is music city, I think every city is a music city. It's not like you sort of take a magic wand and go, oh, now you're in Music City. So from our standpoint, we've obviously seen a real decline with the cost of living in Vancouver. We've seen artists leave. We've seen venues close down. So my organization, along with a bunch of stakeholders, sort of set out and said, well, look, let's just really stop the decline of this and address that. And we've never had any really hard numbers. So last week, Music Canada Live conducted a provincial study of the live music sector, which included Vancouver. And then a group which I co-chair with the city of Vancouver is working on an ecology study. And that's how the sort of the city interacts with the music community and artists. So that should be sort of wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. And then we present to city council in July. So this is sort of the first time that uh, we've been proactive in that, in that thing. And to everyone's point here, obviously there's economic impacts, but we also, it's a sense of community. I mean, music's everywhere in, in any city. So it's sort of how do you put those two pieces together to really combine what's happening within the ecology of the city. And that's why we call it an ecology study versus sort of a statistical study, although it does have statistics in there. So... So, OG1, you yourself are actually an example of, of what makes Portland a music city, right? I, I mean, guess. I would yes. say so. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we also, you're on the board of an organization called Music Portland that has recently been put together in order to really forward this idea of Portland as a music city. So you want to talk a little bit about how that came about? Yes. Again, much like some of the other speakers have said that, you know, music is beyond just the passion of artists and, and musicians. It deals with our economy, especially for a city like Portland that is growing. And anybody that's been to Portland, if you go one week, you go the next week, it's, it's changing. With that, the changes have affected the music community. So Music Portland, just a group of people who are passionate about supporting artists, supporting music businesses, and bringing the issues and concerns, much like the other speaker said, to the forefront. Because I think with some of the growth of Portland, it's not taking into account how impactful music is in the community. So... Absolutely. And so I think what you're getting at, which I think is really important, and Alex touched on as well, is this thing that's definitely been happening in Portland and many other cities where gentrification is kind of pricing artists out of the marketplace. And so people who could happily live in, let's say, a group house and play in bands and play at a number of venues any given day of the week are now finding themselves in situations where they can't be in those, those houses are getting, you know, taken off the market and high-rises are being put up, venues are shutting down. You know, we're, we're really facing kind of this weird crisis in America of what do we do when people can't afford to be musicians anymore in a given town. Alex, do you want to talk about, because like your Music Canada Live study was really talking about, like looking at venues in particular. Yeah, well, that was, it was sort of a scope of the provincial level of primarily the live sector. So it's like venues, festivals, you know, ticket sales and sort of conglomeration of that. In BC, obviously, it's a huge province, Vancouver being the metropolitan. So I would say probably like well over half of the musicians in the industry is based in Vancouver. So, you know, what we've discovered and we kind of always knew the answers or at least had an idea of what was happening. But again, it's the first time we've been able to sort of now really look at it on paper and say, look, here's not only the economic impact, here's the cultural impact, and here's all the things that we need to pay attention down the road. We always look at it from a perspective of we're looking for policy change because the city of Vancouver's mandate currently is for nonprofits. So we have to play this delicate balance of it's not the commercial sector taking away from the nonprofits. It's bringing the two pieces together and sharing those common goals because they are common challenges and there's common goals. So it's like, how do you integrate both those in there? And for us, it's really about telling the city, like, music needs to be part of the infrastructure at the start. It should never be an afterthought. So we've discovered this, you know, Vancouver's really becoming a city of the elite, and it is forcing a lot of venues to close, and I know lots of club owners who have sold there, and I, I can't blame them. They're selling these places for, you know, five times what they bought it for, so you can't really blame them for that, so it's, it's more of an infrastructure thing, and, you know, with our city, they own a lot of property as well, so it's like, okay, well, when you're building new areas of town, you need to take music in consideration, whether it's, you know, soundproofing, and this, that, and the other, and just simple things like when bands need to park in front of the street, you don't tow the bus or like, can we just have the, like just really, really, sometimes it's really that basic or, you know, the sound police will go out to clubs and threaten them to show down and then the club door is like, you know, what the hell? And I'm like, guys, these people employ hundreds of people. They're, they're feeding the system. You can't go around and, and sort of bash them around. I always go to the notion that there's a lot of big companies in Vancouver that don't have to be in Vancouver. They're there because they want to be. So I always go back to the city and it's like, look, you need to do everything you can to keep not only the music but the company's thriving here because otherwise that'll all go away and then you'll turn around and go, well, what happened? So that's been a big, big push for ours. And we do have a lot of really established companies in Vancouver that are operating on a global scale. Monster Cat Records and the District are two of the biggest. They're just renamed two of the five billboard, the, 
the EDM dance world, and I told my mayor that, and he had no idea they were even in there. And one of them employs like 60 people, and he was just like, that's here? And I was just like, how do you not know that? So it's kind of like, you know, and I, you can't blame them as well, so it's an information sharing. And, you know, we just had the Junos in town, so it was really important that we were bringing city councilors around and the mayor around, just saying, look, at this is what it could be, and it's, you know, Junos is the Grammys of Canada, and so it was in our city, so it really gave an opportunity to go, holy like this this is real like there's a lot of stuff happening it's like yeah so now here's some policies to keep that vibe going right so that's the kind of way we approach it i think you're getting his attention because at that music conference that happened right before the junos he gave one of the best mayoral music speeches i have seen you write that speech alex i did participate in the writing of that <laughs> yes i will well not solely me but yes it was uh, we had a, we had a stake in that for sure it was great one of the things I was going to say, kind of along with what he was saying, one of the things Music Portland is doing is the economic impact study, where we talk to music business owners, we talk to audiences, we talk to musicians and artists to find out what those collective concerns are. And from there, you know, gather people in, you know, in a support system, as well as, you know, getting a kind of common mindset, uniting everybody to, to see that even across genres, that people have a lot of concerns. I know a lot of times in Portland, you know, people that might do, you know, live bands versus hip hop might think that some of the issues are, are separate, but they really are a lot of core common issues. But, you know, assessing those things and being able to leverage those things and take it to policymakers and say, here are the issues. A lot of issues that he even brought up, like as in Portland, buildings are growing. I mean, they're stacking buildings on top of recording studios. So now when someone goes to record in that studio, they're telling them, you know, or calling the police on them saying, hey, this is too noisy. Well, um, you're living above a recording studio that was there before you built everything. So now you have noise ordinance, you know, conflicts. And so those buildings were built without the conversation being had about how, you know, I know you want to grow and, and make money, but how is this affecting the business of someone who might have been established there 10 plus years. Now you're affecting a music business. And I think it goes across the board. So I think it's very important that, you know, from our perspective, the assess from those different perspectives and then take that, you know, hard evidence to policymakers and say, okay, as you guys are, you know, wanting to grow Portland, take these things that are real factors in Portland, particularly in the music community.
That was Edible Door by Lithics. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to DJ OG1, Kate Becker, and Alex Grigg. So Kate, your job is really kind of a testament to the fact that the city of Seattle is, is serious about their music community. Do you want to talk a little bit about well, that? Well, sure. The longstanding office of film here in 2005, led by industry leaders bringing pressure to the city of Seattle, converted to be the office of film and music. And our mission is to grow the creative economy equitably, centered in film and music. So, yeah, we have an office and we have some staffing. My colleague Scott Plusquilic is here today. He's our nightlife business advocate. His job is to work with clubs and help keep clubs thriving in our city. Not just clubs, but also bars, but there's a big piece of his work that is music-oriented. Yeah, our job is to really advocate for the issues in the music community, the music industry, make sure our city leaders are aware of them, and do whatever we can to affect change in policy and in the way we're operating in Seattle. In Seattle, we have many of the same issues that DJ OG1 and Alex cited. We have a lot, if not all, of those issues in Seattle. So what do you guys see as, I mean, I think overall, certainly in Portland, we're seeing a massive receptiveness to the notion of this economic impact survey because businesses are really excited about it from many different angles. You know, the businesses that are music businesses are, of course, quite excited because they're like, oh my God, you realize that we are here and like we actually have an effect on the community. But then other businesses, the, the larger ones that you were talking about that have actually employees who go out at night and see music and wanted to move to Portland or Seattle or Vancouver because of the music scenes, you know, this makes a big difference to where they chose to become employed, right? And so they know that. These employers know that. So we've had people just jump on board. They're like, we don't even care. We'll just, you know, we're just excited to be part of it, you know? Yeah. So that's really exciting. What do you guys see as some of the potential difficulties that we're facing in in our attempts to get people to understand that we're like a significant part of the community? I hate to say it, but sometimes politicians are the first to take credit when a success comes out of their market, and yet they do very little to embrace it. You know, I think in Vancouver, we're discovering that a lot of sort of, you know, we have the Granville Strip is, you know, it's got a lot of issues. It's it's a bit of a war zone at night there. So, you know, there's different groups that have, the club owners have all gotten aligned themselves. So we're looking at a nightmare to develop into our policies as well. You know, in Vancouver, it's sort of the twofold. So when we broke down our study, we sort of was like artist development. And a lot of it was sort of like, well, now we need the public to buy into it. We can't just go, well, hey, we want this money. We want all these policy changes. And then we also need the public to buy into it. So a lot of our study also rolls around audience engagement and development through that. And then, of course, tourism is a big thing. I mean, you know, for years, even our federal government and our provincial government, it's trees, water, you know, maple syrup, and the Mountie. And I'm like, well, hey, dudes, in B.C., there's more festivals in British Columbia than there are anywhere else in Canada. And there's some world-renowned ones there, you know, like Chambla, this, that, and the other. And I don't think half the people in our province even know what that is. So I'm always like, look, at it's great. Like, sure, Vancouver's beautiful, just like Seattle and Portland. But you can't just keep relying on the cruise ships, this, that, and the other one. All these other things are going around. So it's going to those individuals in the business community saying, look, at half these, a lot of these people are coming for these events, and you're not even paying any attention to it. So with tourism, it's a little bit tricky because, you know, I mean, obviously, we're like, hey, you guys should support this. 
and, you know, and, you know, free up, and they're like, well, if it's June, July, and August, we don't care because they don't, you know, they're about filling up rooms. And I'm like, well, that's great, but you're still, that's when most of these festivals are happening. So you're telling me that you're just not going to put any money because it's, it's happening anyway, they say. So it's like, well, you know, okay, so what if we do an event in March? And they're like, oh, we'd be all over that. I'm like, well, why? And they're like, oh, because you'll drive hotel rooms. So I'm like, okay, I get it. But it's just kind of like there needs to be sort of give and take in that. So that's how we sort of approach with the business community. And I don't think they, now that we have the studies out there, I think, you know, hopefully the light bulb will sort of go off and go, wow, you're right. It's not just economic, but it's the sense of community and our open events and, you know, the jazz festival, the folk festival, you know, there's paid concerts. We're finally convincing, you know, our parks department to open up Stanley Park, which is a jewel there. So, it, it, you know, it's kind of a little give and take, but when, then when they see these events, they're like, wow, this is really great. And I'm like, yeah, but you're making it a nightmare to make these things happen. So let's just look at the ways you're working internally with the city and how you act with the business community to make these things a little bit more viable. And it really, we kind of treat it as a partnership. It's not us against them. It's okay, the industry, we're trying to help you and the city grow economically and culturally because we can see what's happening as well. So, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a little give and take, but again, a lot of it's just misinformation and, you know, they all think, oh, we're just out for the dollar and you want to sell booze. Well, yeah, we have to because that's the only way we can survive. But if you do this, this, and this, you know, and change some of these policies, it'll make it a lot easier. So we'll see. I mean, I'm going to be in an, an interesting position in, in October because I've had a great relationship with the mayor and the city for the last, you know, 10 years. And, you know, we're putting our report through in July and then everyone's going to change. So I have to go out there and, and sort of re-energize all the new council people, the new mayors, to just make sure that they buy into this thing. Because, you know, I, we spent two years on this report and not the last thing I want is just to sit there because the government changes, right? So that, that's a big push for us currently. At the end of the day, people don't support things that they don't value. And that's on many levels. That's from a business level. That's from audiences or whatever. If you don't value it, you don't support it. So I know one of the things that excited me about getting involved with Music Portland was the fact that there was a collective getting together from various different backgrounds and influences and creating this voice and bringing awareness. I think a lot of it, kind of like what he was saying, is you know once you have that collective voice and being able to go out and advocate for businesses, advocate for artists, advocate for the fans or audiences that want certain levels of uh, quality entertainment or access to it is a game changer. But again, it starts with having that dialogue. And I know with Portland, my experience has been that a lot of the music communities have been separated. You have the businesses and they have their focus. I want to make money. You have the artists. They want to make money, but is coupled with they're passionate about their craft and no one's talking to each other. You know, then you have policymakers that are totally not attached to the community. So everybody's kind of on their island. So one of the things that I, I'm excited about and, and, and hopeful for with Music Portland is that we have that collective that will come and advocate on everyone's part, you know, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that everyone, not just artists, you know, not just business owners, but we want to make sure that the city as a collective is growing in, in, in a positive direction as it relates to music. 
So Kate, what are some initiatives that Office of Film and Music has going on for Seattle Music? So we have a number of things going on. We also have an ecosystem study that is underway right now. We have a City of Music initiative at the airport. If you fly into or out of our airport, you may see musicians playing. The overhead announcements are some made by some of our most famous musicians. There's videos, there's art installations. We really want people to know that they have landed in the City of Music and we want them to go out while they're here. So that's one. Another one that we are really keen on is our City of Music Career Day. We just did this seventh year of City of Music Career Day, bringing together industry professionals with young people who are interested in working in the music industry, not just musicians, but young people who want to be working in some part of the music industry, which is far bigger than being a musician. And so we do that. And we are right now really focused on income inequality and affordability in our city. Musicians consistently tell us they cannot afford to live in this city right now. So it is a huge issue for us. We don't have a great strategy on how to address income inequality and this affordability crisis, but we're moving some things to try to make sure that everyone who needs to be aware of this issue is aware of this issue. Because if our musicians leave our city, we will not be the city of music. Absolutely. None of us will, actually. (laughs) That will not work out well. So another issue that we were talking about as a group was the idea of, of us sort of having this like Cascadia corridor of music cities, right? So Vancouver to Seattle to Portland, which I think is sort of already in operation. I mean, that's how any touring bands that are from any of these cities always tour sort of up and down through these towns and, and it's part of your plan, right? But there are some weird obstacles. And <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about crossing the border. Oh, please, no. <laughs> yes. Just personally, as a DJ, one of the obstacles I, I've, I've had is one, you know, again, if you're getting booked in Canada I and mean, you have to cross a border and if the cost, you know, the visa costs like $1,500 or somewhere in that area, but you're only getting booked for $1,500, do you take that gig? Absolutely not. You know, you you just can't afford to do it. So, again, having someone that can advocate in and address those issues and saying, OK, you know, how realistic, you know, are these policies that are, are, are set in place? And that's just that on top of creating that, you know, again, that corridor where those relationships, those intentional relationships and connections in other cities are made. Because that's another challenge for me as a DJ. And I know for artists, I speak for a lot of artists out of Portland, is that, okay, we want to connect with other talent or venues in other cities, but how do we connect? If we don't know anybody there, you know, if we don't have the hookup, how, what is the process of being able to uh, connect? And I've heard the same thing from artists in other cities, like unless they know someone, they connected with them over Instagram or whatever, they don't know how to do that. But so making access or providing resources where, okay, if I want to tour in, in, in Canada, here are the venues, here are the promoters, here are the people that you need to directly connect to. It makes it a lot easier. Same thing with Portland, same thing with Seattle. Yeah, we've all been talking about this at length for the last you know, little while. So there's, I know from British Columbia, and I mean, Canada's a big country, and we, and I'll be honest with you, actually have a horrific star system there, and we're geographically challenged, much like you know, Seattle is. So you know, from Music BC's standpoint, 
we've been fortunate over the last couple of years. We have, obviously Canada's got a great funding structure in place, so the provincial government and the federal government both sort of help support those, you know, training, development, this, that, and the other. So one of the pushes that we've made as an organization is to really drive down the Pacific Northwest. You know, we sort of look at it and we've got relationships going on with Bumper Shoot. You know, we've got 12 bands at Upstream. We've got something going on on Pickathon, and sort of I'm not done there yet. So, and I'm trying to drive our artists down here because to me it's like, well, Seattle's only you know two and a half hours away. You know, the next city in Canada is you know probably Calgary, and that's a ten and a half hour drive with nothing in between except trees. So I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to push that down there because it's much more beneficial for artists, and there's more options down here. And you know, it's kind of ironic that I'm taking government money and pushing it out of the country. But you can again, get it great. Yeah, well, you know, it's, but we also bring a lot of people. We do we bring a lot of people to our events from the Pacific Northwest. So we brought some people from AG up. And we're going to bring some people up from Portland. Kate's been up to another event. So it is it's connecting those dots. And I know Kate and I have had that conversation before. It's like, well, can you imagine how many people cross the Peace Arch? Like bands cross the Peace Arch per year. And we both went, well, I don't know what that number is, but you know, I'd sure like to know. We just know that it's a lot. So as we started talking again, it's like, well, how do bands get down here? Well, who are the promoters? Who are the players? Because like we said, we already know what's happening for bands. So that's like now, how do we integrate the businesses, the studios, the writers, the producers, the composers? We have a huge tech sector amongst our, you know, the two states and BC. So there's all those connections with the video games, film, television. So it's a natural progression for that to happen. It's happening organically now so you know our goal I think is you know as a group is to really structure that and focus it on 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 music and isn't there some I mean isn't it the fee just really crazy for the border crossing it it is yeah it's upwards of like 1500 bucks if you want to expedite and it takes you know at least and I'm not the expert on it it takes at least at least 100 days to get that through there and then obviously you know I've promoted a number of events and, and, and obviously there's the withholding tax for US acts coming up there which can total 50% if they don't have the proper things there so you know it, a lot of these things aren't going to happen overnight because in our sense it's like we would have to deal with Revenue Canada and that's how it starts right and then you're dealing with Immigration Canada and much like here you got Homeland screwed you got this that and the other so I don't you know I don't know what the answer is because I, it, it, I don't know if it can be like a state and provincial thing but I also know with obviously the talks with, with NAFTA going on that's been brought up and we've been consulted you know, because they're worried about, well, hang on, how does the Cascade Aquaria function with the tech sector film? Because there's so much activity going through. It's almost like there isn't a border, but there is. So yeah, for Canadian artists, it is very tricky. Our funding envelope allows us to, to have those artists because we understand what those costs is and because we put such a push in the Pacific Northwest that will sort of help absorb those costs. But, you know, that runs out, then, you know, they're going to be sort of back in that same situation of we want to go there, but we just don't have the resources to do it. Right. This is sort of a teaching moment. I just want everybody in the audience who's a musician to understand that if you play a Canadian venue, you have to file paperwork at least 30 days before your gig so that you do not get 15% of your guarantee held for tax purposes. In order to get your full guarantee that night, you actually have to file this paperwork. And you have to do it by mail, which I personally find really obnoxious. I can't believe that in 2018, there's not an online interface for this that is so, like, totally... Seems so easy, doesn't it? Crazy. <laughs> Seems like such an easy fix. Seems like it would be easy. But then, you know, government. I get it. It's hard.
That was The Hex by Horse Feathers. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to DJ OG1, Kate Becker, and Alex Grigg. All right, so we have these three luminaries of these from these three cities, and we are excited about the possibilities, right, for our future working together. What do you guys see? I mean, Kate, what, how do you see that we can best work together to achieve this goal that we're trying to get to? Well, I think that one of the beauties of this Music City work that's been happening, both in the Cascadia Corridor and across the country, that it's been going on for about three years now, is that every city can be a music city. As you said, every city can be a music city, which means we're not very competitive with each other, right? We can learn from each other. We can not reinvent the wheel. If Alex already invented the wheel and it was wildly successful or it failed, we can learn from that and move forward faster. So we're always sharing information. We're very open to that. I consult with people. My colleagues consult with people all the time. We, we want to share information. And isn't there sort of an international music city designation that I don't really understand, but I think oh, you do. Oh, yes, UNESCO, mm. City of Music. Seattle is a UNESCO City of Literature, which means we cannot be a UNESCO City of Music, but there is a, an international designation that connects you with other music cities around the world. It's a very cool thing. 
Is that a thing where you actually then get to go to like a conference and talk to each other? Yes, yes, okay. that's how it works. And there's some State Department funding behind that to help support transportation and whatnot. So maybe you should be a UNESCO city of music. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. When I went to Adelaide in Australia last year for IndieCon, which is their independent label conference, I got off the plane in the airport and there was a huge mural painted on the wall that said, welcome delegates to Adelaide, UNESCO City of Music. And I was like, what is that? What? Like, and, and I mean, Adelaide is like the size of, you know, Pioneer Square. Like it is the tiniest city. It's so small. It's awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, it was incredible, but it was really surprising because I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. So that's how, that's when I first heard about that possibility of right. that designation. How do you get designated a UNESCO City of Music? Oh, you apply. You okay. apply, and then it's an extended process, and at some point, a board of people at the UNESCO organization decides who will be in the next city of music. But it's definitely worth exploring. There's also a creative city track within there. Beyond just music, you could also be a creative industry city. So, Okay, so now the thing that musicians always want to hear about is how are you guys going to help us out, Right. And I know that Music Portland has, we have been talking about how can we help our musicians out and not just, I mean, we talked about a bunch of stuff, right? We've talked about education, we've talked about information, we've talked about creating a clearinghouse and a meeting place for people to meet and learn about all the people who are in the different aspects of the industry. But artists, what artists want to hear is, how are you going to give me money? Where's the money? So... Can you guys talk about some of the initiatives? I mean, I know Canada's a little bit easier because yeah, you guys be like, actually sorry, have but we, yes. the ability to do that. Tell us about that. I'll give you the sort of the, the Coles notes of it. So money filters down through Canadian artists, musicians, professionals through Factor, which is a which is a federally mandated. So there's there's a there's applications and process for artists, recordings, this, that, and the other, and that's been the key player for years. So then you sort of go down to each province has its different funding streams. So my organization, Music BC, is is we're not a government agency, we're an industry agency that goes and lobbies hard for money to support the music industry. So we've been very fortunate in British Columbia the last couple of years. The industry lobbied very, very hard to secure $15 million from the previous government, of which Music BC, my organization, you know, spent 1.4 of that. And then we just spent the last sort of six months with the new government saying, that was great, can we have more? And so part of my job is, is a lot of my job is lobbying, but you know, to everyone's point, they get sick and tired of hearing me, so we lobby, we make sure artists are doing what they got to do. So in theory, yeah, we, last year, over the last two years, Music BC poured out close to half a million dollars just in touring grants, and that's for international exporting and this, that, and the other, domestic tours, and it wasn't just for artists, it's for business people to travel. So when they're coming to events like this, or we'll do events like at Reaper on The Great Escape, and I've been on the road for three weeks, and I had four bands at The Great Escape, and a plus a business, bunch of business people. So we don't cover 100% of their costs because there needs to be an investment from them as well. But yes, we, I, I, we, I travel a lot and we are the envy of uh, many things. They wish they could have it, but it's a priority for our government. There's only 30 million of us and uh, arts and culture and export initiatives is a big thing. So we're really fortunate in that, in that front. There's so, only 30 million Canadians? Canadians. 30, is that right? 33? 30 million 
Something like that. I'm right, aren't I? Okay, yeah. I'm moving. I mean, I was just in Mexico City and I had, you know, I did a friend pull and I had, you know, three bands there. And then we got to Mexico City. And I was like, wow, there's like almost as many people here as there are in our entire country, which was <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, export initiatives. And, you know, again, it's, it's sort of not always about us just going, well, what we do for our ex, because we do bring a lot of people into Canada and the regions like professionals. And we obviously want, you know, collaborations with songwriting, composers, our studios, our business. So there's a lot of business going on, obviously, already between the United States and, and Canada. It's pretty tight. All the major labels in Toronto and, and Vancouver and the independent. So, yeah, I mean, we are in a good spot. I know I talk to a lot of Americans or, you know, they'll bump into people that are like, wait a minute, the government paid you to come here. And it's just like, well, not all of it, but yes. So it is, a good, it is a very good system, and we're very, very proud of it. That's, that's all I can say. So, yeah, it's been great. Sorry. It is really Oops. great. And we're... Oops. <laughs> we're only a little bit envious. In Washington State, we have a no-gift-of-public-funds law, which makes most of the things Alex just talked about illegal to do with public dollars. So it makes it challenging. So our effort is really labor-intensive. We have a 21-person music commission, volunteers who work with us. They are of the industry and of the music community. There are nine working musicians on that commission. And they work with us to really address the issues here, to try to make policy changes. We want every everyone in our music ecosystem to, to thrive. We want AEG and Live Nation to thrive, and we want small underground quasi-legal sorts of events also to be happening in our city because we believe that they are a quintessential part of a music ecosystem. Yeah. Woo. Well, <laughs> we're at the beginning stages, but, you know, some of the ideas in terms of supporting local artists, and I mean, it's just, uh, it's layers you know, honestly, but I think the first part is, you know, creating resources and educating artists on how to raise their value. And then things like uh, Listen Local, like uh, going to local businesses that normally might have Spotify playing. So uh, having the conversation about having local music being streamed through their, their businesses that way, Artists get that exposure, recognition, and if they've gotten their business in order in terms of copyrights and publishing and everything like that, you can create some revenues from there. And then plus two, as anybody knows, that Portland has major industries there. You got Nike, you have Adidas, you have Intel. A lot of these companies, and I know this from my personal experience, they book DJs and bands, but unfortunately, a lot of times they book bands from out of town. And that's really because, not because they don't like Portland, they just don't know that they can book bands in Portland. And a lot of employees in those companies come from other cities. So the first resources they reach out to is people that they know in their cities, then they fly them to Portland. So we wanna change that. We wanna have the dialogue and say, hey, here's a list, here's a list of bands, here's a list of DJs, here's a list of artists from various genres that if you need uh, uh, to pull from those lists to book you know, for events, then again, it creates opportunities for bands and musicians to you know, create some revenues for themselves. And then again, it builds that community as well. Absolutely, and I think one of the most important things we can all do is educate artists because you know, I, I think there's a funny thing. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. There's a funny thing when artists start doing art, doing music, it's so fun that they kind of lose the sense of like, oh, this could also be a business. You know what I mean? And sometimes it feels like you don't want it to be a business, right? Because the business part of it almost sullies it. It's like, but it's, it's you know, this true expression of my heart. And I don't want this to be like sullied by the grossness of capitalism. But the problem is 
then what are you going to do for a job? You know, I mean, if you want to do this as a job, you actually have to think of it as a job, right? And so one of the things we're trying to do with Music Portland is put together so many resources so that, you know, it's like, okay, fine, I'm not going to force you to realize that this is a job, but I'm just going to put this list right here. And if you have, you know, if you happen to want to look at it, you know, you might get some ideas about how you can, what your income streams could be, because there are income streams. Exactly. And again, just my personal experience being a DJ and, and having to establish a business, I think one of the things that gave me an advantage was I had people that I reached out to that were business people that, you know, wanted to see me grow. And so they educated me on, you know, if I want to start a business, what is an EIN? What's an employee tax, you know, number? I don't know. I didn't know what those things were. Okay. Or I just thought, okay, you create a name. I'm rap a lot productions, you know, and that's okay. And so being educated and, and kind of taken through a process, I know what it did for me as a business. I, my business has been going on for about 20 years now and been very successful, but it came from getting educated. Now, again, like you said, as artists, you get in, you know, the studio, you're writing, you're creating, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about, I create, I want to hit the stage, I want to go on tour, I want to make some money. You don't think about the business end of it. So that's, again, another thing I was excited about Music Portland is creating those platforms where artists now can, as they're creating, alongside of that, they can get educated on how to do business. You know, what's a good contract? You know, what's a good agreement? How do you find out, you know, how do you properly make calls to who and for what? Exactly. Do I have a, ma do I need a manager? You right. know, do I need a booking agent? Those type of things that artists just, you know, aren't really thinking about. But if they really want to create a business, they need to know those things. And where do they go to get it? Hopefully for Portland, it'll be Music Portland. Exactly. Yeah, that's how, I mean, Music BC, that is what, that one of our core functions outside of the export, this, that, and the other is education and training for artists and business professionals. And we do it. You know, right down to we'll hold tax seminars, we'll bring in lawyers. Uh, and again, that's a good part of our system. We'll bring in people from other parts of the world who are experts in those fields. So we kind of tier it for, you know, like the music business for dummies because people are at different level. And so we try to do our educational programs that cater to where people are at in their careers. And we have a pretty good open door policy at Music BC. I mean, we've got some great staff and I got bands call me all the time just like, what do I do? And, you know, and again, it, it's one of those weird, you know, I've been in and out of the commercial business and the nonprofit business. But it is a business. So I've always told artists, like, you really need to understand the business that you're in. Because if you don't understand, as soon as you're getting, you know, bigger and more successful, and if you don't understand, you know, your team around you and what they're doing, then you're just not going to, you have to understand that. I've always, I spent years as a booking agent, and I said to bands, well, you ever booked a show? And I'm like, well, call me when you've booked a whole bunch. And then you'll figure out what it's like being me trying to sell your band. And they're just like, well, I didn't even realize that. I'm like, yeah. And I've gone as far as putting bands. When I was an agent, I'd put bands on the phone and tell them not to talk why I was selling their bands to buyers and basically shoving it down their throats because I had some leverage with a big event. They were just like, holy you just made him do that. I'm like, yep. And anyway, so it's one of those dichotomies of, of sort of having them understand without literally scaring the 
them because it is a, a very complex business. But again, we always want to make sure that they've got their team in place so that all they can do and want to do is focus on their art and what they're doing. But it, obviously, it takes many, many stages to get to that point. And even when those artists do, you know, sometimes artists break really quick and they're just not that smart because they just it rules too fast. They didn't have to do the groundwork. So that's where our programs come into play where it's it's we sort of balance it out between you know, how do you get on social media? You know, do you have a band agreement? Like, okay, well, we'll bring in a bunch of lawyers from LA and Vancouver and we'll sit them all down and, you know, workshops, things like that. So it's, it's essential to have that because it's a huge piece of the, the ecology of what it means to be an artist. And we do the same thing for professionals, like record label producers, this, that, and the other, just to sort of re-examine what they're doing with their business. And, and, and our whole goal is, you know, how do you compete globally? because the music industry is a global industry and it's great that they're all from Vancouver, but you know, we always say to them, like, go where your audiences are and you need to understand not just what it's like to do business in Canada, but you need to understand it basically globally because if you break in Germany or wherever, you need to understand what that, what's happening there. And so, which is why we do a lot of export activities to, to, and we bring people, business people there so they can get a feel for what's happening in those markets. And if, like, if they break in Germany, great, awesome, good, good for them. I'm proud of that. It's fantastic. So that's kind of the way we approach things at, at Music BC. So The other reason I think it's important for artists to understand the business is if you have someone doing business for you or you have people doing business for you and you don't understand your business, how do you know they're not taking your money? Right? I mean, I personally grew up in the era of people always hearing these horror stories about, you know, oh my God, his, you know, his manager stole his entire fortune and now he's living in a trailer and you know, after having these mega hits or whatever, you know, I hate to be a, a jerk about it, but there's a way to avoid that, which is understand your business, you know, and I don't mean you have to sit with the QuickBooks and, and look over people's shoulders, but know where your money's coming from, know how much money you should have, you know, because if someone's taking it away, you'll know, you'll notice that. Yeah, it's, band agreements is always the one that catches me off guard mm -hmm. and I'm just like, okay, dudes. And they're like, well, how are you splitting your revenue? They're like, what? I'm like, do you don't have a band agreement? And, I'm, and then with horses, and I've seen lots of bands who didn't have band games and had them. And then when the money starts coming in is usually when a band implodes or gets into fights or someone went on a solo career, I assure you it's all based on that first initial deal. <laughs> the singer songwriters getting paid the same as the drummer and then people get pissed off at one another and it can get very, very ugly. I've seen it, I've listened to it, unfortunately, but it, it happens quite often. It sure does.
That was Giant Brain by Wimps. Hey, Portland. We're taping a live panel on June 30th at Mississippi Studios with co-host DJ Cliff. The event is all ages, and tickets are available now at mississippistudios.com. Proceeds go to Friends of Noise. See you there. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to DJ OG1, Kate Becker, and Alex Grigg. So you guys, we just have a little bit of time left. I wanted to know if there were any questions from the audience for our panel. Hi, my name is Greg Scruggs. I'm a music journalist here in Seattle. And I hear you loud and clear with all the economic impact studies, and, and I believe those are useful. But given when it comes to competing economically in the Cascadia Corridor, tech and other industries are always going to vastly outperform the cultural sector. What are the qualitative arguments that you find effective when trying to sell your ideas to, to mayors and, and policymakers? You know, the, the squishy stuff about culture that doesn't have dollars and cents attached, what works there and gets people to agree with what you're trying to accomplish? Recruiting for those very tech companies that you're talking about, right? People want to move to a city where there's a good nightlife scene, where there's a lot of culture, where art is important. That's where people want to move to. So companies use that to lure people into our city. That is one good argument. And also just like making sure there's space for expression of the people, that people have stages on which to voice their their point of view, their expression, their songs, whatever it is, but just making sure that people have access is important as well. Yeah, I mean, I and it is a valid point for sure. I mean, Vancouver is the same as Seattle. It's like huge tech and film and television. And, you know, even in BC, the, the tax credit system there is phenomenal. I typically, I mean, it depends who you're talking to at some point in because, you know, it depends who's in government and what they want to hear. So I typically, when we go in and, and do some lobbying, we, we do two-prong approaches. Like, yeah, here's the hard economic data. But I always try to look at it as we are part of the creative sector. We are part of that. We're all tied together. The gaming industry and the film, we're all doing the same thing. So I sort of treat it in the city of Vancouver like it's a sense of community. Like, And I always say to them, like, can you imagine if this event, this free event wasn't happening? Can you imagine this was gone? Can you imagine this was gone? And you start looking at different parts of Vancouver that, you know, Vancouver's a very modern city. It's pretty new. It's glass. There's everything there. So, and then there's, you know, when the, when you see all these little cool, you know, you know, sort of hipster areas of town just getting like wiped out by condos, I always refer to them like, hey, do you remember hanging out at this spot? And they're like, yeah, remember that cool spot? I'm like, yeah, that's gone. Because it's, and it, becomes a continual afterthought and they're always chasing the dollar and this, that, and the other. And that's partly why we're looking at it from an infrastructure standpoint. And I think, you know, a lot of times you can't blame there. Just there's very little consultation in Vancouver. And so we've made a huge effort to say, look at, bring us at the table and we'll show you how to build these communities and, and, and put music around it. Because when you build them, it's coming anyway. So let's just have us at the table at the first. So to us, it, it, I really sort of put that community aspect to it. It's like music is, everyone Everyone loves music. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, I don't care if it's the guy in his in his basement doing something. Everyone loves music, and I always sort of try to say to them, like, when when these events go, you're going to turn around and look at me and say, well, what happened? And I'm going to say, well, you know, we we told you that this was the you know the ramification. Like this venue closed, this venue closed, and I've got council members like, hey, remember that room? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, what happened to that? I'm like, the guy sold out, and you guys popped in a condo. They're like, oh, yeah, we didn't realize that happened. I'm like, okay, well, that's part of the the long going structure. So it's it's community for me, for sure. And it's just that ecosystem. And, and people love coming to Vancouver, but it can't just all be about the mountains and the water. So as good as that is, but, you know. Yeah, and, and I... 
agree 100%, particularly because, again, I, as a DJ, I, I play for a lot of tech companies, a lot of the big corporations. And one of the biggest things, even as it relates to the NBA, being an NBA DJ, I've sat and heard discussions about negotiations with players coming to Portland. And one of the biggest challenges was, what is the entertainment life like? Because they're coming from larger cities and they're used to having a certain level of entertainment. So that is a, a very huge impact economically on a city. And when you deal with, you know, uh, one of the questions I said in a, a city meeting and question came up about bringing the NBA All-Star Weekend to Portland. I said, Portland is not ready. They said, why? I said, they will come and destroy Portland. And they said, well, why? I said, well, imagine this. Imagine people from Miami, Houston, L.A., all these major cities that have a certain level of entertainment expectation descend on the city of Portland. And if you don't have an entertainment structure, you don't have things set in place, it's not going to work. They would tear your city up and they were like, wow, we never really thought about it like that. So part of that, again, is having those conversations with the city, city officials, with businesses and saying, hey, this is why entertainment music is very important to, you know, to thrive in this city and, and, and become stronger. Because if you want to make money, you got to invest in those things that bring value to your city. And music is very important in Portland. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out to Upstream and thanks for being on the future of what to my panel. Thank you, Portia. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Lithics, Horse Feathers, Wimps, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.